Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Perkins Platform. This is a solutions-oriented podcast and live radio show. Each broadcast, we dedicate just about 30 minutes to explore topics of interest for leaders and professionals in education and a variety of other disciplines, and this is your host, Brian Perkins. So, hello, everyone. Welcome back this week. Uh, we, we have a great show lined up, and I'm, I'm excited, as usual, to be back here on this Wednesday uh, at 6 p.m., as usual, um, with a, a another exciting um, guest. Today's guest is uh, a researcher and um, and a professor. Um, he has a new book that we're going to talk about. Um, but um, many of you know that I am a professor that uh, teaches a course in and, and has written courses in in decision making, leadership and decision making. And so one of my, uh, I would say, comrades in the fight, so to speak, um, is today's guest and who is also uh, um, focused on decision making and and uses his work with business leaders, investors, and other uh, individuals. And so um, I'm pleased to welcome and introduce you uh, to Peter Atwater. Welcome, Peter. Thank you so much, Brian. I'm delighted to be here. Well, glad to have you. You I'm going to ask you, because I get a lot of people that ask me quite the, the kind of the essential question of, so what made you interested in decision making? So I'm going to start there, but I want you to tell me a little bit about yourself, if you could uh, put some context around how you got to uh, being a professor who was interested in teaching people um, about uh, decision making. So tell me a little bit about yourself. Sure. So I have two careers. I have a very classic finance career. I spent 13 years working for J.P. Morgan uh, on Wall Street and then worked for several other financial services firms across treasury asset management, private client. So I, I'm, I'm a career oriented around you know, financial services and the markets. And when I turned 45, my son said, Dad, you're halfway to 90, which is a shocking thing <laughs> to hear. And so I decided that I didn't want to spend the next 45 years doing what I had done, but wasn't quite sure what it was I was going to do next. And within moments of leaving, um, the financial crisis hit in 2008. And, uh-huh. and I was fascinated by the crowd behavior, um, the choices investors had been making in terms of what was happening in housing, what was happening in lending. And as the crisis unfolded, I became really interested in the role that confidence played in the choices people were making, the ones mm-hmm. they'd made at the top of the housing market and the ones that they were making around you know, the collapse of Lehman Brothers. And that led me to start to think about what, what are the connections between the, you know, how we feel 
and the choices we naturally make. You know, there, there are a lot of people who focus on decision-making in terms of trying to make us make better choices, but they never really stop to say, well, what do we do on our own? And that was what really interested me. I just want to know what is it that we naturally do based on how we feel, for good and bad. Mm-hmm. Okay, okay. Well, I, I'm not, not so unlike my my kind of introduction to decision making me it was also kind of a natural curiosity now mine was i'd have to admit started with just looking at the behavior of people not around particularly i would say an event if i if i heard you correctly of you know the crisis that happened in 2008 with 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 investments what have you mine just over the years uh just was with people i've always been a a people watcher and at times i would question people especially adults in my family i would ask a lot of questions and particularly why questions why did why did x person do this or y person do that um and so I, i i certainly identify with your curiosity in that. And so um so you so you've been tell me a little bit about your you know the work that you're currently doing. I know you've it sounds like you've worked with uh, both groups and individuals, but have you been doing coaching um of of leaders? What what exactly do you do in that area? So what I try to do is to help folks use the framework that I've developed to and apply it to what's happening in their business um, at the at the moment. So earlier this week, I was on the phone with a um, marketing firm, and their focus is, you know, trying to help customers be better able to get their messages across in this time of geopolitical turmoil. Mm-hmm. And so the question is, what what messages resonate better with us? when we don't have confidence and trying to help them to see that there are there are specific ways you want to tune your messaging tune your activities to be more in sync with with the crowd uh-huh. uh okay so you you just said something that really uh raised uh, really piqued interest for me uh to dig a little bit here is that around um thinking about not having confidence, not, I guess, in the way initially I was thinking about it, um, it sounded like you were talking about confidence in terms of information information you have or hold, and then not having that uh, as a backup, perhaps? Or is it the, the idea that I should say the opposite, if you will, of that is having confidence, and that's not that's absent information. That is being sure, even if there's not a lot of data to support your position. So I'm thinking about the confidence, the mood of the crowd, uh. and the the way the crowd feels and. One of the things I had to do in my research was to figure out what is this thing that we call confidence really. Everybody knows it when we see it, 
And I mm. and I've come to think of that as confidence theater. You know, the, okay. the Elon Musks, the CEOs, the the sports figures, the celebrities. That's not what I think of when I think of confidence. What I'm what I'm uh-huh. looking at is how certain are you of what's coming? You know, is, uh-huh. do things feel predictable to you? Okay. And and then the other dynamic is, do you feel prepared? Do you have a level of control in what's coming? Because those two feelings unknowingly shape everything from what you want to what you do to the stories you tell yourself and others. Mm. And so if I'm thinking about you, Brian, as somebody who's you know not feeling especially confident right now, well, I need to relate with you in a way that is appropriate. So, for example, I need to keep everything that I'm talking to you about in the present. We're not going to talk about the future. We're going to just focus on where you are now mm. because you're, you need to gain certainty in what's happening around you today before you'll be confident in thinking about what's coming in the future. Mm-hmm. And and so this these feelings of certainty and control has a real important bearing on the 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 decisions you're going to make. And and one of the things I think that's really useful to think about is that when we're not confident, the the opposite of confidence is vulnerability. Mm-hmm. And so when you're working with individuals, you're trying to lead folks who are feeling vulnerable, then you, then you need to be framing it in, the, in a sense of what is the, the certainty that they're lacking? Why mm. is it that they feel powerless? Because mm. to be effective, you need to get inside their heads to be able to inspire them to, to move forward. Okay. Okay. So confidence from this. So it, it is what we are trying to do to influence them, uh, whether it's our group or our, or our team or an individual. We're talking about influencing them to be certain about where we are in this moment. Is that? Like, yeah, and and even ourselves. You know, when mm. when when I'm lacking confidence, it's very helpful for me to step back and say, okay, why do I feel that things are uncertain? Why mm. do I feel a sense of powerlessness? Mm. And if I can focus on those, those are actionable. Now I can do something about them. I see. I see. So. For me, I, see, I, I mean, you, you've introduced something very new to me in terms of considering this, is that what I hear you saying is that, uh, because I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about my own reflections on confidence and, and if, whether or not I have kind of said to myself, I'm not feeling confident right now. And what do I attribute that lack of confidence on? Um, because I, there have been times when, when I have not been sure of something, uh, being, being whether it was a decision or not. And that's where I, I want to 
kind of get to how does that impact how you make decisions. But I've been I've, there. There are times when I've said, um, I'm not sure if this is going to work. But I, I don't know that I've simultaneously said I'm not confident in in my belief that it can work. I think I think the fact that I'm willing to try it for me says that I'm confident in the possibility. I I, I guess I've and I don't know if you're saying they're mutually exclusive or they go together. That that I, I don't think I have equated my my lack of information or certainty with confidence. So this is a new new kind of concept for me. I'd love to hear you kind of expand on that. Sure. So what you're describing is what I think of as being sort of the launch pad environment where we are taking control of the situation and are unsure of the outcome. You, know, okay. you can almost think of you, yourself as sort of this rock climber halfway up a hill, and you know, you're not sure, am I going to make it to the top or am I going to fall? And mm. so we make an enormous number of decisions in that environment. Every financial decision we make yeah. Is, yeah. A, is a decision where we have control but no certainty. Mm-hmm. When we send a resume out to, to a potential employer, we yeah. have control in that moment, but no certainty of the outcome. And so in those moments, how we imagine the future becomes vital. And what we often fail to appreciate, Brian, is that our imagination of the future completely reflects how we feel. If I'm confident, I imagine a very bright, promising future. If I'm not confident, I present sort of a dark, you know, doomed-to-fail approach. And if we can step back and just think about how we're imagining the future, that's telling us an awful lot about our own level of confidence. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I tell my clients and my students, the, the future is inherently uncertain. Yeah. What changes isn't the future, but our feelings about it. And so if you can look in, in those moments when you're absolutely certain of what's ahead and realize that, whoa, 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 that's my overconfidence imagining a story that's that I'm probably too certain of. Uh-huh. Okay. And, and, and the same is true when we think it's the end of the world and we're certain that things are only going to get worse. That's our underconfidence speaking. Mm-hmm. And, and we make our worst choices at the extremes in mood. Mm. And so if we can just step back and look, we can see our own confidence setting us up for failure. Mm-hmm. And so how, how important is this framing of, of confidence in your, your, from your perspective for leaders to, to develop? It's critical because if I look at some of the big leadership choices that they make, you know, a major acquisition, that, that's the sort of choice that you're only going to make 
at an extreme where you're absolutely certain of what's ahead. And so rather than diving in at the very top, you actually want to temper your enthusiasm. Mm -hmm. Conversely, when it feels like the end of the world, that's the time to be taking more risk, not less risk. Mm -hmm. and, mm -hmm. and so seeing this association for leaders becomes really powerful because the, the, you know, from a, whether you're hiring or investing in new equipment or a new factory, you want to be making more of those decisions when you're far less certain of the outcome. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that that's very counterintuitive. That that feels wrong, but that's you know that's that's the way business leaders can be more effective. Yeah, yeah. Um, you you mentioned a a concept. I want to explore that a little bit. You you mentioned something first time I heard it before, but it makes absolute sense to me. Um, the term you used was confidence theater. And I, if if I understand it, I mean, just just as a definition, um, I, I I see that a lot, and sometimes I'm amazed at what what I feel that I, I I see through as theater, and many people in organizations don't, um, whether they are large national organizations or even small teams that seem to be successful because they rally behind someone who has been able to, to display or, or um, manufacture a, a feeling of confidence, exuding a, a confidence um, as a leader. And so a lot of times people need someone to believe in something so that they can get behind it. You know, they, they are, they feel good about it because someone else is, it, it has, has demonstrated a, a strong affinity for a decision. So, um, so with that one, tell me a little bit about what you, what you mean by confidence theater. Yeah, we're, we're a wash in it culturally that this bold strident, um, you know, very aggressive certainty that's being touted um, in the media, online, and and there's little time or interest in scratching the surface. Mm -hmm. People are getting behind. Um, I think of them almost as as you know, circus um, performers. That these these ringmaster circus carnival barkers who are yes. promising yes. you know this this blisteringly bright future if you get behind me yes. and w one of the things i found brian is that when our confidence is low people think of fight and flight as our natural response but our our actually our natural our most natural response is to follow and we need to be really careful because unknowingly when our confidence is low, we can be easily victimized by, by predatory figures. Um, low confidence environments is the, is the praying ground for cult figures and authoritarian yeah. leaders and, yeah. and predators of all kinds. 
and yeah. I and I see that that our confidence theater at times is is very predatory. Yes. Yes. <laughs> I, I would agree. I and I and that that is right along the lines of what I was thinking, and it just I I I don't suggest that you you know from a historical perspective has kind of exhausted looking into this but i just wonder and i'm just throwing that out this out here now and not that you have an answer but i just wonder what makes this particular time in history particularly susceptible to that kind of of feeling i know um it's interesting to me I've, I've talked with some of my colleagues and friends, and we've talked about a pendulum that swings around historical events, and and it's almost as if there were there are times when feelings of, and not just in recent history. If you go, you know, back to just thinking about in the Roman Empire and 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 Rome becoming a republic and versus a a where Caesars existed and then things going to a democracy or, or what appeared to be a democracy, likewise in current day time where we, we went full-blown into the voice of the people and then what appeared that people felt like they needed this, what you talked about, a strong authoritarian uh, leader to make decisions where people don't have to make decisions. Any any thoughts about that? Like why why now? Why is it now that we we seem to be bought into these this this theater in a way that we weren't say 30 years ago? Yeah, so I think you know since the turn of the millennium, we've had events like 9/11, we've had the dot com bubble burst, we've had the housing crisis burst. Um there's a growing sense of and a, and a reality a, a reality of, of um, inequality across multiple attributes and and so people there's a large swath of the population that feels powerless in a time of extreme uncertainty i mean if you just think about the number of times the word unprecedented gets used these days oh, yeah. Yeah. And and so our vocabulary is confirming these feelings of intense uncertainty and that that's intense vulnerability. And so it's it's those feelings that make us susceptible. I mean if you if you think about it, you know, if if you're feeling vulnerable because your a pipe is burst at, at your house, you're not checking qualifications of the plumber. You're just looking for anybody who will answer the phone and respond to your need. Yeah. Yeah. And I think the same is true today. And, and, and sadly, there are those who are happy to take advantage of the vulnerable. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, um, another, another area that I wanted to explore with you, I know we don't have a lot more time, but I uh, wanted to explore with you was about um, confidence elasticity. You talk about that um, in your book. Um, can you share a little bit about what you mean by confidence elasticity? Sure. So I, I teach in the economics department, and, and most businesses and business leaders think in terms of price elasticity. 
if I change the price of what I'm selling, what is that going to do to demand? Are people going to buy more of it, less of it? And what we overlook is that products have natural confidence elasticity. That is to say that as our confidence changes, we want more or less of it. So if you think about luxury goods and our, and our want for things like first-class travel, well, those are things that only get intense demand when mm-hmm. confidence is especially high. Space travel, um, those sorts of moonshot projects, we only see at extremes in mood. That, so space mm-hmm. tourism is something that you know, catches my eye and says, wow, that, that's a real statement on the, the extreme confidence of those at the top. But we also see it at, at the other end. You know, when COVID hit and confidence collapsed, suddenly we're, you know, people are rushing to Costco to get pallets of water and wipes. And, and so I think leaders need to think not in terms of price elasticity, but how do changes in sentiment impact the, the services and the goods that, that an organization sells? Because yeah. it, it becomes really revealing um, and you can make better pricing decisions than as a result. Mm, gotcha, gotcha. Well, thank you. Thank you for sharing that. For those of you who may have tuned in late, uh, please go back and, and listen from the beginning of this uh, broadcast. But I'm talking with uh, Peter Atwater, who is an author and professor, a uh, book that has just come out, um, The Confidence Map, Charting a Path from Chaos to Clarity. Um, Peter, please, uh, any last uh, thoughts of if you could uh, give to people about um, what the big take-home is of your book? Because I, I know that they will be interested, uh, especially those that are interested in, in decision-making. You've had uh, kind of a successful career at, um, at, at, at providing advice to individuals and groups in their decision-making. So I'm sure there are a lot of people that are tuning in that – um, would love to know what, what what's the real take home that you have that you think will will interest them in this in this manuscript. Yeah, so the the self help world would lead us to believe that to be successful we must have confidence, and confidence though is an outcome of success, and so to be successful we need to be able to function in environments where we don't have confidence, where we don't have certainty, where we don't have control. And real life moves us around. Being confident isn't a condition that once you get it, you're going to have it forever. And we need to be not confident, but resilient, able to navigate successfully those environments where we're, we're wondering about the, the certainty or the powerlessness and the uncertainty we feel. And that's mm-hmm. what my book is really about, is trying to yeah. help people better navigate the environments when we don't have confidence. Excellent, excellent. Thank you. So, Peter, I'm going to give you an opportunity. I know there are people who would love to hear uh, more about the work that you're doing and have done. Uh, so please share any uh, email addresses, websites, other articles, places where they can find you, uh, and your writing and support you, uh, please please let us know where we can we can find you. 
Sure. So I have a website, peteratwater.com. Um, I'm also on LinkedIn and, and have a regular blog post on what's happening in the world and how to look at it really through this lens of confidence. And I think often we, we read the headlines and think things are a surprise when instead if you look at what was behind the, the feelings behind the decisions, things start to make more sense. And so I write a, light, a lot about that on, on LinkedIn. Uh, folks can also find me on, on Twitter I guess X now, I'm uh, Peter underscore Atwater. So those are some of the ways they can find me in the, the things that I think about. Awesome. Thank you. Again, thank you so much, Peter, for joining me. And um, I will be definitely um, watching and following and just want to encourage you, wishing you the greatest success. And so until then, go well, stay well. Thank you so much, Brian. I appreciate the opportunity to talk with you today. Thank you. Take care.